So this morning is going to be a little different than most. Um, if we had a Sunday night service or Wednesday night service, this might be something that would take place then, but we don't, so here we are. Um, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts 6 with me really fast, because uh, I'm going to talk real quick about what's happening, and then we're going to do what's happening, and then, yeah, and then we'll be done with what's happening. Everybody tracking? Cool. Uh, Acts chapter 6. So this morning, can everyone see their scriptures and everyone see around them? Or do we turn on some lights? Someone say lights? Okay. Are we good? I feel like there's some conflicting. Do we need to bring this up to a vote? Can I get a second? We don't do that stuff. All right. So, um, well, yeah. Dad, will you turn on the lights right there? There we go. Or Evan. Uh, so, Acts 6 is where we're going to land because this morning we're doing something special, something we've never done before, and it's ordaining of Kyle. Um, so, most of you guys know coming up in two weeks, well, less than that, a week and a half, Kyle and Jen will be moving down to Milledgeville along with Madeline and Mackenzie Lee to plant the Branch Church Milledgeville. And so, what we talk about is we're designing this network. We're going to be a network of 10 churches within the next 10 years by developing leaders through discipleship every two years. Um, what we're not saying is that we want to create this network. Uh, network built around me or built around this Delonica campus or anything like that, that we want to send out autonomous churches that are choosing to partner with this network so that the gospel can go out among college communities in the Southeast. So that's our vision. That's our dream that that's not built around. I mean, could you imagine my face on a screen everywhere? I didn't mean, that'd be funny, but there we go. I was thinking like how, never mind. Uh, so what, that's our vision, that's our goal. And so this morning we take the first real big step in this, in ordaining Kyle. Now I know uh, there's so many different backgrounds and, and religious backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. So the word ordain might mean a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. Um, so we're going to pick up in Acts 6 because this is the first time we see um, ordination take place. And so we're going to kind of take a cue um, from Paul and or from Acts and see what Paul, how he ordains within the rest of the New Testament. Um, and then we'll start that process this morning. Acts 6, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right. We give up preaching the word of God to serve the tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will, if you're underlining, underline this, appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So what we see taking place here uh, is that the ministry was getting too big for them. So as the disciples, they came and they appointed, they set these seven men aside for a certain role, for a certain job, for a certain duty. And this is where we get this idea of ordination, that we are setting aside Kyle for the role of lead pastor at the Brent Milledgeville. Um, and so we're going to see from, uh, again, there's a bunch of different ways that different denominations do this, but um, as Southern Baptists, if you didn't know we're Southern Baptists, surprise, as Southern Baptists, we all operate within autonomy, right? So um, no one is dictating how we run the branch church as long as we stay under the umbrella of the Baptist faith and message. It's ultimately up to us as elders 
leaders, uh, who we ordain, who we see fit. So um, Benjamin Merkel from Southeastern has this quote about what it looks like to ordain in the office of pastor slash elder. Here's what he says. Thus to be appointed to the office of elder implies that a man has met the biblical qualifications, has been called by God, has been approved by the congregation, and consequently has been publicly recognized as one who holds that office. It does not necessarily imply that he works full-time for the church or has been to seminary. Rather, it means that God has called and gifted a person to humbly lead the church. And so we see this all throughout the New Testament, Paul writing to all these different churches and, and writing to Timothy, instructing them to when they start a church, when they get to a certain town, the first thing they're to do is to appoint elders, the, to lead the church, to um, lead this certain congregation faithfully as the way that they should go. And so, uh, church, this morning, that's what we're doing. We're appointing, we're setting aside Kyle Worthy to lead the Branch Church Milledgeville, and we're giving him the title as reverend, pastor, whatever you want to fill in there. Um, that's bishop, you know, archbishop, whatever you want to call um, That's what we're doing this morning, that we're setting him aside for this specific role. And so Benjamin Merkel says it really well in the four steps that he meets biblical qualifications, has been called by God, has been approved by the congregation, and publicly recognized as one who holds the office. So flipping me over to 1 Timothy 3. We're just going to kind of work our way through these to make sure that Kyle has met all of these. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. So how does this passage, passage explain and describe Kyle? The saying is trustworthy. If one who aspires to be an office of the overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not a violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he might not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So the step one to ordaining Kyle as an elder that we're going to send out, does he meet biblical qualifications? So the elders at the branch, we've examined this passage, we've examined Titus 1, we've watched Kyle's character, and, and so we resounding say, yes. Let's keep going. Uh, number two, has Kyle Worthy been called by God? Would anyone disagree to that statement? If you do, you can leave. Um, because that would mess up everything. Number three, <coughs> has he been approved by this congregation? Now, now look, um, 1 Peter 5.22 talks about as you're ordaining elders, as you're ordaining pastors into the ministry. Um, verse 22 would say, do not be hasty in the laying of hands. What this means is take your time. Don't rush into this decision, right? Um, we've got to watch the character develop that, that anyone can fake it for a season. Anyone can look good and, and oh yeah, that guy's going to be pastor. But, but character is figured out over time. So don't be hasty in laying on hands. And Kyle has been one of the key servants here for almost four years now. 
So we're not hasty in this decision as elders to send Kyle out. We've been watching him grow. We've been watching him develop and to the point that he is today. And number four, publicly recognizes one who holds office. Now, I know some of you guys, and I want to try to fly over this real quick. Some of you would say, well, isn't he already a pastor? Don't you call him the community pastor? Not sure. And so the way we understand this from the biblical perspective, elders and pastors are synonymous. Uh, but at the branch, we have elders and we have non-governing elders, right? So the staff, the pastoral staff would be considered non-governing elders. So this morning, we're ordaining him into the eldership. He will be an elder pastor over the branch church Milledgeville. And so, Kyle, uh, we want to recognize you this morning and ordain you in this process. And so um, I will ask the elders to come up. Kyle, will you come grab a seat in the hot seat? Um, Rob, will you turn on that light real quick? Now, I just want to be candid for a second um, as he's walking up. Kyle has it easy because we've seen his character played out. Um, technically, within the Southern Baptist denomination, we could invite any ordained Southern Baptist pastor into this room, and he, they could ask Kyle literally whatever they wanted to in front of all of you. How much fun would that have been? Uh, just drill for hours and hours and hours. So I think Carlton's got a question for you, right? <laughs> Mike, Mike has a few for you as well, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, just long story short, I, we took Mike to lunch a long time, a couple years ago, and um, drilled him with some questions. He's irreverent now, so he passed. Um, so Kyle, you're welcome that we didn't do that to you. So Kyle, there's two things that we want to uh, make sure that we, we are clear on this morning. Um, as ordaining, as setting you apart for the role of pastor, the number one thing is you cannot do this on your own. It's just not possible. Acts 6.6, 6, the rest of the story with them ordaining or setting apart the seven uh, says this, they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So in a moment, the elders are going to lay their hands on you. We're going to pray over you to remind you, and hopefully this will be burned into your memory, that you cannot lead by yourself. That this role that we're assigning to you is an impossible task if you're going to try to accomplish it on your own. You will be crushed unless you realize that there are good, faithful men and women here that are constantly laboring in prayer over you. And the second thing is this, that we want to remind you, we're not ordaining you into power, but we're ordaining you into servanthood. Right, So we see this in John 13, that John 13, 3 through 5 says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So that he had all the power, he had come from God, he's returning to God. What did he do with his power? Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, dyeing them with a towel, or drying them with the towel, excuse me, that was wrapped around him. So we're ordaining you into the ministry, not because you can do it, you can't do it. So you need prayer from those around you. We're not ordaining you into the ministry for a power trip or for you to exercise authority over church, but to serve and love a church like it's your own. So this morning, Matthew is going to, uh, as a representation, wash your feet. That uh, We are sending you out not... Um, to be a power, we're not as a power sending you out. We want to serve you first so that you can turn around and serve. And then the rest of the elders are going to gather around you and pray over you to remind you you can't do this on your own. So, uh, Matthew, if you want to get started.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Kyle and for the time that we've had for him to serve with us here and for us to observe your spirit inside of him and your calling for him. We thank you for the, the wisdom that you've given Kyle while he's here, been here with us and for the growth that we've seen in him through all that you're doing in his life, God. And we thank you for this calling you've given him to go and serve in Milledgeville. We thank you for the opportunity he has to lead lost souls to you. We pray this morning that you would be with him through us and through the others that will support him in his ministry, God, that he would remember that he can't do this by himself and that when he needs help, when he needs assistance, he would be able to turn and find you in the support of others who are there to serve by his side. We pray that you would give him strength too to support us and to support his congregation as he goes to pastor the church in Milledgeville and to support the other leaders and the other team members that he's working with. We pray that you would give him wisdom and patience. We pray that you would fill him with your spirit and that even in the hard times, he would always see your presence. He would always know that you are with him and that he would grow closer and closer to you through the trials and tribulations that he experiences, through the relationships that he builds with fellow Christians and through the others that he's able to lead to Christ. We pray that you would give him the strength for this ministry. We pray that you would give him the heart of a servant and that you would show him how he can glorify you through serving others. It's in your name that we ask all these things, Father. Amen. Now, Kyle, here's, here's a few things you should know. Um, that we always have your back, no matter what. That you are now one of us, right? You are ordained into the ministry. and um, This is nothing that you're going to carry on your own, but uh, all that have come before you and all that will come after you, you are in a brotherhood of ordained pastors that uh, we all know the weight that it takes. And, um, and that's why we pray over you constantly. That's why we are here to serve you. Uh, I pray, and I know that you do, that you understand the weight of what just took place. Um, that this is this is no turning back. I mean, this is the hardest thing you'll ever do. You thought marriage was. Uh, not because that was, no, sorry. Just, uh, I didn't say that. Um, right? Like, up until this time, this will be the hardest thing for the rest of your life, what you'll have to do, the burdens that you'll carry, um, what you'll hear, the commitment that to preach the gospel faithfully for the rest of your life. Um, if not careful, it will crush you. It will destroy you. But if you lean on the power of the Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, he will sustain you. And that's what our prayer for you. So uh, this morning, we want to present two things to you. Um, the first, as you're going to Milledgeville to serve and to lead, uh, I've always heard this age-old cliche, leaders are readers. Um, so we want to present to you a $100 gift card to Amazon uh, to get your commentary sets going, to get you a couple pastoral books um, as you start preaching through the gospel week in, week out. Uh, to help you in that trajectory. And I'll be honest with you, that's an IOU inside there. That's my fault. Uh, <laughs> we will get you one eventually. That is just an index card, yes. <laughs> yes. That is good, yeah, wherever you want to spend it. 
Um, the other part is your certificate of ordination of what just took place this morning, uh, that if anyone ever doubts you, you've got a piece of paper in a $10 frame. So, man, Kyle, we are, as a congregation, as an elder board, we are incredibly proud of you, man. We're grateful for you. Uh, you've led so well here. We have no doubt that you're going to lead faithfully there. Uh, so, without further ado, I'm going to step aside, and I'm going to present Reverend Kyle Worthy to preach this first sermon as an ordained pastor. Is it on now? Yeah. I love that I get to preach barefoot because, true story, my wife dressed me this morning and I was just gonna wear like a t-shirt, so I was feeling really like, really dressy, snazzy, so. Um, never thought, this is completely off script, but like you know when they talk about like when you're teaching, you just imagine everyone in their underwear, like this is like right up there, there's a moment, never thought I'd be teaching like barefoot, but uh, anyway, so if you guys, we're actually gonna teach the word, so like uh, we'll get out of this awkward moment. Um, if you wanna flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, we'll be in verses one through five uh, in a little bit of our time this morning. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, one through five. Uh, if you guys don't know me, um, Wanted to introduce myself a little bit. I know there's a couple of people in the room that I haven't met. Just got to meet you today, Hannah. Um, so all those things that Gabe just read about me, um, I'm totally gonna hopefully not squash, but let's, let's go for it. Um, my name's Kyle. Uh, I'm a mess. So anybody else? Show hand, mess in the room, good. We're in good company. Um, tell you a couple of stories about myself that will just prove to you that I'm an absolute mess before we get into our text this morning. Uh, every time I come into Parks and Rec into that gym, I'm glad my cousin Daniel's here um, because uh, we played basketball one time in the gym and I hadn't eat any, eaten anything before uh, we went to play. So I was like, I need to eat something. I need to make sure I get some food on my stomach. So I ate a mess ton of wasabi peanuts um, and then played like 15 games of full court basketball uh, and then threw up in the parking lot. So, um, <laughs> So I'm a mess. Um, so like even this, this sermon, I'm thinking about this week, how crazy this week has been. Um, I wrote this summer, sermon somewhere between yesterday uh, officiating the Harkins, uh, Ben Harkins wedding uh, and driving back home, um, just a, a, a mess. Uh, I was talking to my wife this morning. Um, she's so patient and kind with me. Uh, she was looking for her, her curling iron and uh, I was like, babe, I don't have your curling iron. I don't have your curling iron. Why do, I don't need your curling iron. I don't have your curling iron. Um, so she was looking at my car, and I was like, just, I was like I'm just going to be the good husband. I'm going to be super patient this morning. Um, and it turns out that I had taken her curling iron out of my car and left it on the front porch for about a week. So um, I'm a mess. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad my friend Michael's here with me. Uh, I worked at RH with him. Jess, where are you at? Oh, see, servant-hearted, that's oh, great. Uh, but we worked there, Matt worked at RH with me too. Uh, I don't know if Riley's here, but like I was, the, I was the, the manager there that everybody really liked, not because I was really good at my job, but because I was really good at flicking the little rubber bands onto the ceiling and getting them stuck up there. So um, that's me. Um, but getting in, into all those things that they said, um, it's only 
by the Lord's grace that I can even be any of those qualifications, that I even get to meet any of those whatsoever. Um, the truth of the matter is like going down to the, the Harkins wedding, a woman about rear into me in traffic and I may or may not have um, saluted her. Um, like, so uh, that's anger in my heart. Um, just confess, like, we, hey, no judgment. Here we all said we're broken. We started with this, right? So um, it's, it's true. Like, uh, I, I want to tell myself that I, I tell little white lies um, but the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm a liar, um, as we all are in this room. So as, a, as I'm talking about all these things, these shortcomings, uh, why I want to start there before we get into the word is because the truth of the matter is, is that we're all broken in this room. The only reason that I'm standing here is because of God's grace. Um, nothing to do with me. Gabe said this a couple weeks back ago when we were at Long Mountain. Uh, the reason that the elders are sending me out is not because they believe in me, Kyle Worthy, as a person, but Christ in me and what Christ will do in Milledgeville through me. So when I was thinking about what do, what do you teach about at an ordination? We've never done one of these before. What, what could I possibly talk about uh, after what just took place um, that still hasn't even registered for me? Uh, so there's a lot of things that came to my mind. I was like, well, this is my last week teaching here at the branch. I could go something super controversial before uh, mic drop moment and hopefully the elders won't fire me before I get down there. Or um, we talk about church, like maybe this is your first time coming to a church. Like, this doesn't look much like a church or maybe what you think of what a church looks like. We could talk hymns, we could talk about theology, we could talk all kinds of stuff, right? And all of that has its place and all that stuff is good things to talk about. But the truth of the matter is when you talk about God, there's only one thing that really truly matters that is of first importance, and that's the gospel. So that's what we're gonna read. So we're gonna pick up in 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul is going to lay out for us what the gospel is for us that are standing in it and those of us that Christ is inviting us into. So let's read this, starting in verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you've received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Jesus, we come this morning admitting that we're broken, admitting that we are in desperate need of this gospel, this good news. God, would our hearts be open? Uh, if we've heard this message once, we've probably heard it a thousand times, but would it fall fresh on us? or maybe if this is the first time that we've truly understood. God, Spirit, would you do only what you can do? Would you open hearts to want to believe? Would you open hearts to want to believe that the gospel is not just to save, but to sustain us as well? Jesus, we're depending on you this morning. Spirit, would you be here and would you lead us as we examine your truth? We need you. Don't let this just be me. But God, would you speak? It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
So now there, when we get in, in verse one, it says, now I would remind you, brothers. So given a little bit of a context behind this. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter back to the Corinthians as a church that he's already planted. He's asking them, hey, I'm gonna remind you of something that I've already taught you. Now, just show of hands, let's be honest in here. How many times have you guys heard this text before? Just show of hands, 1 Corinthians 15, a couple times. Right, so this is something that we're, we're being reminded of. So this is the core tenet, the truth of Christianity, is the gospel, the good news. Now, when we talk about good news, what could possibly be such good news that Paul is saying this, this is of first importance? It's what we started with this morning, is that we are broken, that I am broken, that it doesn't take a lot of arguing with you to, to prove to you that something's going on in the world, right? So we, lo- we look around our culture today, there's a thousand and one self-help books that we could be reading. Some of you guys might own a copy right now. There's people that are constantly telling us this is what needs to go on in the world. We have politicians, we have teachers, we have theologians, we have all these people in the world that saying this is what's wrong with the world and this is what we need to do to fix it. How many times have you guys had that conversation with someone of saying, man, you know what would really solve things is if we had a better education system. You know what would really solve things in the world with everything going on in the world is if all of these politicians would just actually do their job. You know what would do better in the world is if our teachers actually taught us what we need to be learning to equip, like this is a whole side story, but like high school does not prepare you for the world at all. Can I get a freaking amen on that? Like I did not know what gap insurance was. If you don't know what gap insurance is, come meet me afterwards. Ricky's gonna make fun of me somewhere. I don't know where it is, but talk to me about gap insurance, man. Yeah, so there, yeah, preach, there it is. Uh, knew I could count on you heckling, thanks man. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is whether you're inside the church or not, whether you have a relationship with Christ or not, we all know inherently that something is going on in this world and it's broken and it's shattered. And what that is comes all the way back from Genesis 3 at the fall, where sin entered into the fray and the world was broken. And so this is that message that that Paul is preaching to the Corinthians, that he's already preached to them. He's saying there in verse one, in which you stand, in which you are being saved. You may have heard it there in, in my prayer, is that the gospel, the good news, which we'll get into here in the next chunk of verses, does not just save you, but it sustains you. The gospel of what Christ did on the cross in taking your sin and bearing it on himself is not just for you to be saved by, but it's for you to be sustained by every single day. I talk to a lot of guys about this idea of uh, what does it take to evangelize, to talk to someone who doesn't know Christ? What does it take to disciple someone who is in Christ? Um, and the most simple answer I've heard to that is the same thing, is to preach the gospel. The gospel disciples and the gospel is for evangelism as well. Um, but what I really wanna hone in on is in verse two here. It says, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast so in the Greek, when we study that word, that idea of hold fast, we think of something that we grab onto, that we hold onto. So this good news is something that we don't wanna just say flippantly, okay, that's good news. It's something that, that in the Greek, it literally means to grab hold of, to take hold of, and to wrestle to the ground until you understand, to you make it yours. The idea that we are so broken that we need something greater than ourselves 
the idea of self-help or if I just be a good person, that, that fallacy is, is so broken and it's, I mean, really, let's take a second to think about that when we hold fast, when we take down into root the gospel, the idea that we could be a good person in of ourselves. Um, I think Mackenzie will have it there for us in uh, Isaiah 64, 6. And we'll throw it up here on the screen. This is what scripture has to say about our, our goodness, our, our righteousness. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We will all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind will take us away. So this, this does, might not feel like good news, but this is the truth of who we are in our flesh apart from Christ, is that even our good deeds are like filthy rags to the Lord. So how is, how is this good news? How is this good news that, that the God of the universe is saying even us on our best day doesn't measure up? What we have to grab hold of, what we have to take hold of is the cross. Because without the cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. So verse three, this is the content of the gospel. This is, if we're talking about the gospel, this is what the gospel actually is. I believe in the church, we've gotten so distracted and talked so much about other ethereal stuff on the perimeter, about theology, about being a good person, about church attendance, about everything else, but we miss the fact that the gospel, the good news is what Christ has done for us in our place. Verse three says, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. So the God of the universe, who humbled himself, as Philippians 2 would say, took on the form of a servant, came in human likeness, and died, not just wasn't broken, but died. Do we get that? That there's so many different, you can watch the History Channel, you can watch all these other places that say maybe he didn't really actually die. No, the God of the universe, according to scripture, died. That he was buried and took our sins and our trespasses with him. But it's not just the death of Christ that we preach, but it's also the resurrection because without the resurrection, we're to be pitied among all, is what Paul says. That the idea of the cross is incomplete and everywhere you see in the New Testament when it talks about the death of Christ, he also talks about the resurrection because with just death, so what? We have some good man that died for our sins and took him away, but without that resurrection, we have no hope of resurrection. So it's not just that God died, but he died for our sins. So I started out or this little, little talk by talking about um, some of my shortcomings. And those are the ones that I'm not too embarrassed to share. There's plenty more of wickedness that's in my heart that I don't want to share, that all of us in this room, we know, Gabe says this illustration all the time, if we were to hook up our brains to that TV and show all of our thoughts, all of our actions, everything that's going on in our heart, none of us would want to watch that. But the good news of the cross is that Christ did not stay dead, but he rose and he defeated death. And he's offering us free grace to accept what he has done for us in our place, that we deserve to be the ones on the cross. 
But the good news of the cross is that because Christ has invited us into this, that I don't have to look at myself and say that I am an, a sinner any longer. Paul used that word by which you are being saved in verse two. It's the idea of sanctification. It's a big theological word means like you have, yes, already been saved by the, the cross of Christ, but he is sustaining you. He is making you more and more and more like him. That, that Christ has invited you into a new family, that you are a new creation in him. So if you're in this room and you are already in Christ, how often do we fall back into this belief that we start calling ourselves by our sin? I know I do it all the time. I, I get angry and I think, man, I'm just, I'm just full of wrath. I'm just, I, I don't measure up. But the good news of the cross is that we don't measure up. We were never asked to measure up. Being a good person has nothing to do with being a Christian. Christ was the good person in your place and lived the life that you could not live and died the death that you deserved because of even your goodness were filthy rags that Christ loved you. So stand firm in that. That is no longer that you, you're trying to buy your behavior modification of trying to say, you know what? Yeah, I appreciate what Christ did for me on the cross, but I'm gonna go ahead and over here and I need to do X, Y, and Z. We call this legalism. You hear us talk about it all the time. We ask you and we call you to repent from that because nothing could be a bigger slap in the face of God than saying, you died for me, but I'm going to do this to help in my salvation process. God never asked that of you. What he asks you to do is to believe what he has done. So on those days where you don't feel like you measure up, I, I would say good, but keep in mind, Romans 8.1 says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. What would your life look like if you stood firm in that? There's, there's nothing in this world that can ever pluck you from the hand of God. What kind of power would you walk in if we actually believe that? I can tell you what, reading this text and why Paul says this is of first importance to us is we hear this message over and over and over and over again to it. Um, and Jeff Vanderstil, I, I know we don't have the quote, but the Lord's just bringing to mind is that we feel like the more we know about God, the better off we are. Jeff Vanderstilt, this pastor, has this great quote. It says, the more we know about God and the less we obey, the more accountable we are to Scripture. So what God's asking for you to do in this room, if you are tired of trying to act like you can hold it together, if you're tired of, tired of putting on a facade and acting like you're this good person, good, stop, let the Lord be who he is, who is your Savior. And I would say if you're on the other half of that, if you have never yet understood what Christ has done for you on the cross, I would ask you to consider, to consider that whatever you're putting your hope in is ultimately going to fail you. No one lies to yourself like you do. So a couple examples, what, if you're saying to yourself, if I just get this job, if I could have this job, I would make this amount of money, I could move myself up in station here, I wouldn't have to worry about these stresses, I wouldn't have to worry about everybody else around me that has that great job. If I just had that, then I would be set. I would love to point you to so many people that make it all the way up the corporate ladder and the suicide rates of CEOs are astronomical. It's, it's a straw man argument. 
If you're saying, if I can just be good enough, the world would be good enough. If everybody else in the world would just, just do what they're supposed to do, you know, just treat people the way that they want to be treated. I'm here to tell you that it's never going to happen. I can tell you inside even this church where we're the body of Christ, where we're supposed to love each other, we're sinful people acting like sinful people. We are broken. We are going to hurt each other. It's a straw man if you're putting your faith in other men or women. If you're putting your faith in money, if I just have enough money, if I can get here and I, I can make this much and I can make it this tax bracket, I'm here to tell you that money is here today and gone tomorrow. It's not ever going to sustain you. The only thing, whether you are in Christ or not in Christ, the only thing in your entire life that will ever matter is the cross. That's it. And what Christ did for you is a free gift. It's for by grace, not your merits. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what Paul says. So given this opportunity to teach, uh, I would implore you, um, how do you wrestle this to the ground? How do we take this out of scripture? Maybe uh, something that you've heard a thousand times or maybe you've maybe only heard once or twice. Um, so I think Mackenzie will throw up on the screen maybe a, a good practical first step for you guys. Um, if you're not in Christ, the first thing, the first practical step would be to call the name of the Lord. And it's my prayer that he is opening your heart to want to do that right now because Paul's very clear in Romans is all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that that is only through the power of the Spirit that we can even want this, that we, Ephesians 1 is very clear that we're dead in our trespasses and sin. So it's been my prayer throughout this week that the Lord would be working in your heart to even want to receive this. But if you are already in Christ, I would say preach the gospel to yourself and others. You don't need me or some pastor to just preach the gospel to you. It's our job to equip the saints for work of ministry. So I can teach you how to read scripture. I can encourage you with scripture. But on those dark days when you don't feel like you don't know which way to turn, the only thing that's going to encourage you is the gospel. Because the truth of the matter is this morning, I was really discouraged. This morning, I, I, I often find myself depressed. Uh, there's a great quote from Charles Spurgeon that says, I often find myself depressed and there's no better cure than I can think of than to trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And what he's trusting in the Lord is that I am depressed and I'm feeling like I don't measure up and I'm feeling like how could God ever love me? I read scripture. I'm a pastor. I, how could God love me? I know the depths of my sin. I know how much I fall short and how much I let myself down and other people down. How could God ever love me? But God, what he did for our sake on the cross, for his glory, is what I preach to myself over and over. And I encourage you, there's nothing better to when you're feeling like you don't measure up to what Christ is calling you to do and to preach the gospel to others as well. To share what Christ has done in your heart with someone else, man, I can't tell you much, how much life that brings to see someone actually understand or even a, a brother or sister in Christ that needs encouragement in those moments where they say, man, I, you know, my job is, is a mess. My, my, 
my relationship's a mess, I, I, I don't know how, to, how we're gonna keep going. What they need in that moment is not a self-help. What they don't need is just someone to pat them on the back and say it's gonna be okay. What they need is the gospel, that Christ was crucified for your sins. He loves you. He paid the price for you. It's gonna be okay. You may go through temporary suffering. Christ promises that in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome, and he's overcome through his cross. Because this entire life that we live here is about him. It is for him and his glory. So at the end of each gathering, we do the same thing. We end in communion and remembrance of what Christ has done. On the cross, his body was broken for us. I believe we might have it, Mackenzie. Um, I think it's Isaiah 56. Um, it says what the, the payment that Christ paid on the cross for us, um, that he was bruised for our transgressions, that he was pierced for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. So we're not healed by our good works. We're not healed by how much good we do. We're not, we're not too far gone. There's nothing you can do to out the cross. So in a minute, we, we will take communion in remembrance of what Christ has done, that this is of first importance if we can teach anything that a cross is the most important thing because his body was broken and his blood was poured out. So this morning, take that in remembrance of being encouraged that if you are already in Christ, that that was broken for you and you are secure in him for eternity. But if you are wrestling this morning, I would ask you just to please abstain, to take this time to think, to ponder what this gospel, this good news really means to you what Christ has done for you, what Christ did for you in your place, and that there's no condemnation in that. So let's pray, and communion will be open. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is of first importance, this gospel. We can talk about a lot of really good things, what you've done for us, and who you are, and what you want us to believe. And, but God, the, truly the only thing that matters is your cross. Because God, one day we will pass away. One day we will no longer be here. And God, heaven is not about, this gospel is not about just a, a scapegoat of getting to spend the rest of our lives with our friends and place with no more tears and sorrow. God, this gospel is about you. That we were alienated from you and because of what you did for us on the cross, we now are made right with you. God, let us stand firm in that. Let us believe that with all of our heart that this good news is truly the best news that we've ever had because we were broken. So God, let us, with glad hearts, take communion this morning in remembrance. It's in your name we pray. Amen.